Hey everybody, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. I hope it's really helping you grow in the Lord. But I just wanted to take a second just to talk about this great tool that I've been using to bring the Word of God to people. Anchor is a tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast to listening platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and a lot more. So it's really been helping me reach people that I can't go to their house and actually teach them a Bible study. So it's everything you need in the podcast in one place. The best of all, Anchor, and it's totally free. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to the Word Bible Study with Pastor Dan. How's everybody doing today? I hope God is shining on you the way he's been shining in my life. Because he is a big God who loves us and gives us everything we need. So today, we are going to be doing a Bible study about how God loves sinners. Now, I mean, you know, we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glorious plan. And today we're going to learn about how God loves people who are sinners. Now, does that mean God wants us to stay a sinner? Well, we're going to see what the Bible says. Of course, he calls us to repentance and living a holy life. But in the start of our relationship and introduction with Christ, we all come to him as a sinner. So I want us to acknowledge the fact of how much God loves us while he finds us in the middle of our sin so let's crack open our bible and we're gonna have a good time today first we're gonna start in matthew chapter 5 starting in verse 43 this is a passage that talks about loving your enemies you have heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy but i say love your enemy pray for those who persecute you in that way you will be acting like true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both evil and good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. And if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Heavenly Father is perfect. So let's think about this here for a second. He talks about the law, and he talks about the law of loving your neighbor and hating your enemy. And he says, I say, love your enemies. So he talks about defying the law and not doing what we've been taught and what we've been told, but going outside of that and doing beyond what is expected from us and loving those who don't even love us he says pray for those who persecute you in this way you will be acting as true children of your heavenly father for he gives sunlight to both good and evil so god shows his warmth and love to everyone the same whether you're good and you're evil he does it to both and he sends the rain on the just and the unjust alike he says, if you love only those who love you, what reward is that? So he's saying God doesn't just love only the people who love him. God's love is bigger than that. He loves everyone equally. An unconditional love that's not based on what you do. He says even corrupt tax collectors do this much. And in that time... They thought of corrupt tax collectors as like the worst you could possibly be. So God was saying even the worst people on earth love the people that are close to them, love their friends. And he says, but I want you to be different from everyone else and not be like the pagans of this world, but be like your heavenly father and love everyone equally. So now if you've listened to some of my previous Bible studies, or if you've read the Word of God, because that's pretty much all I'm doing on these, you can see that there are rewards and consequences for our actions in life. Sin, the wages of sin is death, and if you repent and seek the Lord, the benefit is salvation. So, this makes sense 
when you think about a God who loves everyone. He loves good people. He loves evil people. He loves just people. He loves unjust people. So if this is the case and God loves everyone, even though there are people who are doing things that are hurting themselves, God would love that person even in the midst of that. So he had to create boundaries and rules and consequences for actions here on earth. Otherwise, it wouldn't be fair. People could be evil and they would still receive love from God. So that is why we have the wages of sin and we have curses and blessings here on earth is because there are consequences when you live for God you will you will reap benefits and be blessed and if you don't live for God you will be cursed according to what the Bible says so this is cool because it really shows us how God can love unconditionally and he doesn't have to worry about the consequences he just loves that's why when sinners cry out to God, he still hears them. Let's, let's go to our Bible and prove that. Because there is in Luke chapter 8, we'll go there and read that real quick. Starting in chapter 26, this is where Jesus heals a demon-possessed man. So they arrived in the region of Gerasene, across from the Lake of Galilee. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time he had been homeless and naked, living in the cemetery outside of the town. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. He screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. The spirit had often taken control of the man. Even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness, completely under the demon's power. <clears throat> Jesus demanded, What is your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons, and the demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. So first off, we see here that the demons are actually crying out to God, and they're begging him not to torture them, and not to throw them into the bottomless pit. So if the demons, they knew who he was, it says, so they knew his character and they knew that he was a God of love and compassion. So even though these are evil demons, they're calling out to God saying, God, please don't throw us into the bottomless pit yet. Don't torture us yet. They know that they have an appointed time for judgment, but they're begging God. They're like appealing to his compassion and mercy. God, please don't do that yet. And it happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding in the hillside nearby, and the demons begged him, let us enter into the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered into the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. So here are the pigs request a prayer request from God, and they ask him to have mercy and let them go into the pigs. And God answers the, the demons' prayers. So it shows that God has compassion and love for all of his creatures. And that's what the Bible says. Everything that he's created, he has looked at and said is good. But the consequences came because of our actions. It wasn't until Adam sinned that the wages of sin became death. Those went into play to keep us doing the will of God in our lives. God doesn't want us to sin because he understands that sin will destroy our life. So even though he loves sinners, he still wants the best for everything that he's created. And going against God's will is sin. So he doesn't want us to go against his will because his will is for us to have a good life. So yes, this Bible says he's going to teach us that God loves sinners but he comes to call sinners to change their life so that they can have a happy, good life. Let's go back a couple chapters to Luke chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 27. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and left everything and followed him. Now Levi was a tax collector. So here we go. Jesus is going to who 
everybody in that place thought was the worst person there. And he was doing it as a sign to show them that even who you think is the worst person, I see the good in that person and I love them and I accept them. So this is how we're supposed to act to be Christ-like. So later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as a guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Wow. So here are the, the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law, who if you read the Bible enough, you'll realize Jesus never got along with these guys. He was always on the other side of the fence from them. And their first thought is, look at this scum. Look at these unholy, ungodly people. These terrible human beings. And he's supposed to be the Messiah. And he's over there spending time with them. And Jesus answered them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. So God's clearly saying here, I didn't, I didn't come to love sinners and just let them live their life in sin. He's saying, I see that sinners are sick and the people who want to be healed, I came to heal them. He's the great physician. He came for those who know they are sick and want to get better. That is the true heart of a repentant soul. To understand that we're sick. It's out of our control, but we want to do better. That is the heart of repentance. It's not actually just getting your life all in order for God. Because a lot of that's outside of our power. But it's understanding that I'm, that I'm under something I don't want to be under. And that God is the only thing that can take me away from that. And that's exactly the attitude that Christ loves. That he came to save. He didn't come to save the people who think they're saved. And there are people who walk around and talk about, I'm saved, once saved, always saved, I can never go to hell, I'm perfect, I don't sin. Well, you're not the one Jesus is looking for. And I want to be the one that Jesus is always looking for. So it's okay if I consider myself a sinner until he comes back. I'm going to. Even if other people may look at my life and say, man, Dan's got it together. I know in my heart that I am evil on the outside. I'm wrapped in dirty, sinful flesh. And until Christ comes back or I die and leave this body, then he's going to create me a new body that isn't sinful. And that is perfect and glorified and just like Christ's body. But until then, God has a way of looking through this dirty, filthy flesh and seeing that beautiful, perfect soul that he's covered in his blood that he's going to take out of the shell one day and put into a new earthly body. And you can read about that in Ephesians because it's really powerful. And I pretty positive I've covered that in other Bible studies. If not, I will in the future. But today is all about getting us as Christians to have the mind of Christ and look at sinners like the people God sent us here to find. Yes, and it's lovely having Christians around you who encourage you and uplift you in the Holy Ghost, and we need that as well. But our primary target on earth is to be like Christ. And that means seeking out the sick and showing them how to get better. Not with a beating over the head with a baseball bat of religion, but with love and encouragement and always pointing them back to Christ. Because he is the answer that will help and change everything in their life. So now let's flip forward to chapter 6 of Luke, starting in verse 27. We're going to hear more about how God wants us to love our enemies. And if we're true Christians and we're truly trying to push the agenda of the kingdom of God, a sinner and a non-believer is technically our biggest enemy. A Satanist and a witch are some of our biggest enemies. So how are we supposed to treat 
that person? Well, here in the Bible is going to tell us. But to you who are willing to listen, so I hope this is us today, we're willing to listen to God. I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. doesn't say keep letting them hurt you, but pray for them. And if someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do unto others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get any credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. And he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. So it says here, he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. So God is kind to everyone. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. So for us to think that God is waiting to punish people who sin, that's not what the Bible says here. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. He still loves them. He still blesses them. He still wants to see them do better in their life. Now, there are consequences here on this world for people who are wicked and people who are unthankful and people who sin. And those punishments are coming after them. But God wanted to do everything he possibly could to prevent us from having to deal with those consequences. He came to earth, wrapped himself in flesh, and died so that we could escape those consequences if we believe in him. But it takes us believing in him. People will only go to hell if we choose to go to hell. We have free choice. But God has done everything he possibly can to keep that from happening. So we should be thinking and feeling the same way. Filled with compassion. Not wanting people to sin. Not wanting people to go to hell around us. Not encouraging people to mess up in their life. But encouraging them to do what God would have them do. And the whole time loving them. And looking at them and dumping good blessings into their life. That is what God would have us do. Let's keep going here. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount that you get back so God is clearly saying as much as we love other people that's what's going to help us when we give to those in need the more we love people in sin the more God's love for us can be shown the more we give to those in need the more God dumps his blessings back out on us and if we ever let the fact that somebody is a sinner stop us from doing what God's called us to do we stop God from being able to do what he wants for us because of our sin. So that's powerful. So let's go to John chapter 5. Afterwards, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethsaida, the five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men laying there had been sick for 38 years. That's as old as I am. He's been sick my entire life. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when, the, when it bubbles up. 
Everyone else is always getting there ahead of me. Wow, what a what let's think about this here. So this guy is sick for 48 years. Sin is a sickness. So you think about this as someone who lives in sin. And he says, Sir, I can't get better. Because every time the pool bubbles up, every time the spirit starts moving, somebody else gets there ahead of me. Man, that's so powerful when you look at it like that. Everybody else gets their spiritual blessing before you do. And there are some people who are stuck in sin because everybody else is getting it before them. But Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And instantly the man was healed. So people used to sit by this poolside and wait for the Holy Spirit to come by and move it so they could be healed. Jesus showed that we don't have to wait any longer for that spirit because he is what heals us and changes our life. So instantly Jesus said, you know what, I'm not even going to wait. I'm going to come to you. Get up, pick up your mat and walk. Do something to show that you believe. And the man stood up, picked up his mat, which was a repentance for the way he had lived. And he changed the way he was living. And instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So, uh-oh, he broke a rule. So the, the Jewish leaders objected. And they said to the man who was cured, You can't work on the Sabbath. So, here comes the devil. Lay back down. Get back in that sin. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, The man who healed me told me to pick up my mat and walk. Who said such things as that, they demanded. This is exactly how the devil acts. God comes along and does something amazing in your life. Now imagine how many people turn to God, God changes their life, so they pick up their life and they start getting things back in order. And then here comes a Christian who says, you can't do that. Who told you that you can work on the church day? Who said you can come up here to the church and do something for God? That's not the way it's supposed to be. This is a holy day. It's amazing how the scriptures can speak to your spirit. And the man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. And afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse will happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. So here Jesus shows up. He changes the guy's situation, heals his body. The guy's able to live in a way that he's never lived before. And Jesus tells him what's the most important thing. It doesn't matter if you can walk or not. Who cares? Stop sinning. Because that's what's the most important thing. Stop sinning or something even worse will happen to you. Now, was Jesus being unloving and unaccepting by not just accepting this guy as he was and telling him it was okay to live that sinful lifestyle uh, that's not love if you're watching somebody do something that's going to cut their hand off and you don't say stop or you don't try to help them there's no way you're going to convince anybody that you love them god is not going to be stupid like the world is and consider sin something not harmful. He's not a stupid God. He's a brilliant God. And he understands things that we'll never understand. And one of the things that he did in showing us how to have a better life is to show us how evil sin really is. And how much sin will corrupt your life. So I don't understand how people go, oh no, it's okay. You should accept everybody and just love people the way they are. Well, if somebody is smoking crack and it's going to kill them, I don't think I'm loving them by telling them, yeah, it's okay, just keep smoking that crack, everything's going to be fine. God knows what's right for our life and what's wrong for our life. And he loves us so much that he sent his word and people to help us live a better life. You're not loving anybody if you're not telling them to stop sinning. Christ told people to stop sinning. 
And if I love the people around me and I see them doing something stupid, like getting drunk every day and going and driving around the town, I'm not going to be a loving person if I don't tell them, hey, man, I don't want you to die. So maybe you shouldn't get drunk and go drive that car through town. You could hit somebody and kill them or kill yourself. If I see somebody about to commit adultery and ruin their family, I'm not being loving if I don't tell that person to stop. Well, I'm just I'm just loving another human being. How's that wrong? Well, it will destroy your family and it will destroy your life. It will hurt your children. It will destroy your future. And it will definitely hurt your relationship between you and God. So I would not be a loving person if I didn't come alongside you and say, hey, man, that's not the right thing to do. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus and live the way he wants us to live so that we can have a good life. Everybody tries to act like Christians don't have fun. But I've said it before and I'll say it till I die. Sinners don't have fun. Waking up drunk every day is not fun. Living a life that's not blessed of God where you have children and you can watch your children's children grow up is not a blessed life from God. That's a terrible life. And even if the devil lies and tries to act like everything's fun and great and sin, it's not. And anybody who's wise enough to look around and see people's lives around them have an example of that. You look at people who live godly, good lives, and they're happy and contempt, and God has put a hedge of protection around their life. And you look at people who've lived lives full of corruption and sin, and they're not happy. You can talk to any of them, and they'll tell you for themselves that they wish their life would be better. It's our job to show them as Christians a better way, and we point to Christ. Now let's go to chapter 8, verse 1, and we're going to read another situation similar to this. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple, and the crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, the people that he doesn't get along with again, brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They pulled her out in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says stone her. What do you say? So here they go. They go, this woman is a dead sinner. She's caught in the act. And we should kill her, right? They were trying to trap him into saying something that the crowd could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. And he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped back down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest. The oldest and the widest was the first one to realize that he definitely could not throw a stone. Until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And then Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. So here we have Jesus showing someone that you cannot condemn them while at the same time encourage them to live a life that's better. Jesus said, I don't condemn you, but he also encouraged her to go and sin no more because he knew the best thing for her life is to stop sinning. He didn't say, okay, I love you. Now go off and keep having adultery. Just keep going and doing whatever you want to do, which is what our society tells us we should be saying to people today. That's not what God did. God said, I'm not going to condemn you. In fact, I'm going to love you by giving you the encouragement you need to live a better life. By giving you understanding of God's ways are better than the dumb things that you're coming up with that are going to make you happy in your life. 
running around and committing adultery with everybody isn't going to make you happy. It's going to get you drug out in the middle of the city and almost stoned. And that's what God was telling her. There's a better way. It's God's way. Let's live God's way. So let's flip forward one chapter to John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man who had been blind since birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, Why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? So they're asking this question because they're saying that him being blind was a result of sin. Because they knew sin had its consequences. And this is true. Jesus didn't say, no, sin never has consequences. That's not what he said. He says, in this case, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, he answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. You must quickly carry out the task against us by the one who sent us. The night is coming when no one can work. But while I am in here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go and wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seen. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, Nah, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, Yes, I am the same one. They asked, Who healed you? What happened? And he told them, The man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees, because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put the mud over my eyes, and then I washed it away, and I could see. Now the Pharisees were mad that Jesus was healing on the Sabbath. Man, in this time of COVID, it really hits me how bad the Pharisees still don't want God to heal people on the Sabbath. If we're sick, we should be going to the church and we should be being prayed for so that God can heal us on the Sabbath. It's still the devil who doesn't want God healing people on his holy day. I don't know why the Holy Ghost just spoke to me about that, but that's something believers need to get in their soul. This is a day for the Lord, the Sabbath. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And we need to be honoring that. If we're sick and we need something from God, we need to go to the church. That's where we go. Jesus proved that time and time again, that Going to the temple on the Sabbath day was his day. And the devil tried to stop it his whole ministry. And he's still trying to stop it today. Hallelujah. <laughs> Sorry for that little sidetrack there, but God knows we need to hear it. So some of the Pharisees said, This man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, But how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who was blind and demanded, What's your opinion about the man who healed you? And the man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man who had been blind and could now see. So they called in his parents and they asked them, Is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said he's old enough. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who was blind and told him God should get the glory for this because we know this man Jesus is a sinner. So the same way they call Jesus a sinner is the same way they call us a sinner. 
We are all sinners saved by grace. Thank God. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind and now I see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man explained, I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. And we know God spoke to Moses, and we don't even know where this man comes from. Why, that's strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. You know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of somebody born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You are a total sinner, they answered him. Are you trying to teach us? And then they threw him out of the synagogue. So they didn't like this guy very much. But little did they know, by calling him a total sinner, they were telling him that God totally loves him. So we see how the Pharisees are running around calling everybody sinners and how good people aren't calling anybody sinners, but they're just acknowledging the fact that they have sin in their life and they need Christ. So let's go to Luke chapter 18. And we're going to hear a parable about Jesus telling us and showing us the difference between these two people. And we're going to see which one God loves more. Starting in verse 9. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Wow, so he's already talking to some rough people. They were confident in their own righteousness. And the Bible tells us that our own righteousness is as filthy rags. So let's hear the story here. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector or a sinner <laughs> the pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer i thank you god that i am not a sinner like everyone else for i don't cheat i don't sin i don't commit adultery and i'm certainly not like that tax collector i fast twice a week and i give a tenth of my income so that's what he did that's how he prayed Hey, God, look at me. God, look at me. God, look at me. God, look at me. I don't know about you, but God doesn't like those kinds of prayers. He wants us to worship him, to acknowledge him, to lift him up. That's not what that Pharisee did. But now let's see what the tax collector did. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. So the sinner acknowledged that he wasn't good, that he didn't have the answers for everything in his life, and that he knew he needed God desperately. And God says that he's the one who left justified before God. He left righteous, while the Pharisee who assumed he was righteous left corrupt. That's powerful. It shows us how our mindset needs to be. We don't ever need to think that we're better than another human being. We're all sinners. And as soon as we understand that we need God, then God's able to step in and help us and change our lives. All right, let's go to John chapter 3. Of course, our infamous John 3.16, which shows us how great God's love is. But I'm going to start in verse 11. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe me if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven in return, 
but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Back in Genesis, Moses, he was leading the children of Israel, and they were being rebellious and weren't listening to God. So God sent snakes into their midst to bite them and kill them. But then when God had compassion on them, he told Moses to put a snake on a pole and lift it up. And everyone who looked at that snake on the pole would be healed. And that is what Jesus being crucified represents. It was like a shadow of what was to come. So here's our favorite scripture, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. So Jesus came here not to judge everybody. He's coming back in judgment but he came here to save everybody. So yes, we're living in the grace age and this is the age to turn people from sin to God because there's coming a time in the dark when we're not going to be able to do that anymore. There's coming a time when God's going to come back on a white horse with judgment. But we're not living in that time right now. Now's the time to fix things. Now's the time to heal the sick and to lead them to a better lifestyle before judgment comes. There is no judgment against anyone, this is verse 18, who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. So how have they already been judged? Well, the wages of sin is death. So they're being judged on earth. They're living under the wages of sin. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light. So people are choosing to sin, it's saying. For their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear that their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so that others can see that they are doing what God wants. So God's clearly calling people now to run from their wicked, evil darkness and come to the light and do what God wants. That's how God loves sinners. God loves sinners by pulling them out of a life of sin. Not by leaving them in it. He doesn't love sinners and then just watch them go to hell and laugh about it because that's not love. He loves sinners by changing everything in their life so they don't have to suffer in a life of sin. All right, let's go to Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? So here they are, they're still caring about the law. God, what's the best law? What's the best law? And Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So Christ said, you want to know what's the most important thing? Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love everybody around you. That's the most important thing. Did he say if your neighbor's a sinner, never mind? No, a matter of fact, Christ would want you to love them even more if they're a sinner because they need more love and attention to change their life. He didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. And we're supposed to be like him. He wants everyone to make it to heaven. So let's go to Matthew chapter 20, and we're going to read a parable about how God 
tries to get everyone into heaven with the parable of the vineyard workers. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. So he got these people and he got them into his kingdom and he put them to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and he saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them at nine o'clock. So first thing in the morning, then at nine, telling them that he would pay them whatever's right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard at noon and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. And at five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw more people standing around and he said to them, why haven't you been working today? And they replied, because no one hired us. And the landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. So he had compassion on the people who couldn't find work all day long. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them. Beginning with the last workers first, those hired at five o'clock were paid. Each received a full day's wage. So he called in the ones that had only been there for a few hours and he gave them a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed that they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. So they were all given a fair amount, but they just expected to have more. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. These people worked only one hour, and yet you paid them just as much as you paid us, who have worked all day in the scorching heat. And he answered them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay the last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So here we go. Wow, this is, this is big. Salvation comes from God. We don't get saved on our own, and we don't work for salvation. That's what Jesus is telling them here. I saved you. I decided to save them. But none of that is any of your business. I can do what I want with my salvation. Who puts God under a law and tells God who he can and who he can't save? That's what we're trying to do when we're telling God that you can't save that person because he's too big of a sinner. We're telling God what he can spend his precious blood on. If he wants to spend his precious blood on the worst sinner on earth, it's his blood that was shed, not yours. Our job is to tell everyone about his saving grace and his precious blood. It's not our job to decide who gets to partake in that salvation. And that's what Jesus is trying to show them here. So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. That's what Jesus was telling them. I am going to save the entire world. And if you start looking at it like as if it's not fair, you're going to miss out on the big picture. God wants everyone to be saved. And there are consequences in this life that make it fair. If I live my entire life for God, I'm not going to have to worry about going to jail. I'm not going to have to worry about having my face beat in because someone didn't like the way I was acting. I'm going to live a Christian life and I'm not going to have to go through the garbage that other people go through by living in sin but God sees that and has compassion on them knowing that they've been suffering in a life of sin and we're supposed to be the same way I'm supposed to want people to have a better life around me I'm not supposed to want them to stay in their sin and suffer I'm supposed to want to call them to be like Christ to live a glorious life that's free from hardship, free from pain. Jesus said, my burden is light and easy to bear. That's what he meant. Living a Christian life is easy. It's good and it's easy. I know the devil tries to lie to us, but he's a liar. 
Living a life in the world is hard. Getting drunk every day, trying to sleep around with everybody, trying to break God's commandments is not easy. I know the devil tries to lie to us, but a good Christian life, living for God, reading your Bible, praying, working, paying your bills, taking care of your family, loving everyone you come in contact with, giving what you can to those around you that need. That's an easy life. And God blesses you and gives you strength and he rewards you for living how he would have you live. That's how we want everyone to live. I want everyone to come to work in the venue. I don't care if I've been here a whole day long. I want everybody in here with me. Even if it's the last hour before midnight, you can come work in the vineyard today. That's powerful. Because all it really takes is faith. Let's look at Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, not by what we do, but by believing that God is the one who makes us right, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into the place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. So if we're a Christian, that doesn't mean we're not going to have hardship in life. It's going to happen, but we look at it differently because we understand that it's just developing endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope in salvation. So when we're going through stuff, we can remember that God has already saved us and this hope will not lead into disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he gave us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. So the Holy Spirit should be filling your heart with love. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. So if we're full of the Holy Spirit, we should be loving people around us. It shouldn't even be hard for us to love people around us. Love should be growing in you. When we were utterly hopeless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we were made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus has made us friends of God. That's what we're calling everybody around us to today, to become a friend of God. Now let's go to 1 John chapter 7. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So the whole point of Christ's coming was so that we didn't have to sin. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. So God's trying to love the world through us still today. And God has given us the spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Therefore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God 
have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. That's amazing, guys. We should be putting our trust in how much God loves us. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this earth. That's powerful. So if we want to be able to face God with confidence, we need to live like Jesus here on earth, which is full of love. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. So if we're afraid, we're afraid of going to hell. We're afraid of being punished. But it says that that shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. For we love each other because he loved us first. So we shouldn't be scared of going to hell if we really understand how much God loves us. If someone says, I love God, but he hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their brothers and sisters. So he's telling us, if we're going to love God, we've got to love everyone around us. Because that's how we can show God our love for him. In Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about the end days and he's talking about how sin will run rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's verse 12 and 13. He's telling us that there's going to come a day where people stop loving each other so much. In the end times, love will grow cold each other but as Christian believers we should be loving everyone around us and if we endure till the end we will be saved if we continue to love everyone we come in contact with and keep our love warm and big like a burning fire inside of us then we will endure till the end and we will be saved so let's go to one more scripture here before we wrap it up. And it's Revelations chapter 2. In this section of scripture, this is a message to the church in emphasis. So this is to the Ephesians and he's writing about how their church has been acting. He says, I know all the things you do and I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles and are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. So here's the one thing God's saying I have against the church in the future. You don't love me or each other as you first did. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me now and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your candlestick. So there's my anti one saved, always saved. I can't believe in one saved, always saved because of this scripture right here. God will remove your candlestick if you're not living for him. And as we just read in the last passage before that, the number one way to continue to live in God is to love God and love everyone around you. And that's what he was telling them here in the scriptures. You don't love me and you don't love each other like you used to at first. When you first come to God and you realize how much God loves you, it fills you with a joy and you run around and you start loving everybody. You tell everybody you know about God, get them to come to church. And you're filled with this love and compassion for mankind that comes from God alone. And he's telling us as believers that that's how he wants us to live our life. To live a life where we love sinners. 
and we love believers and we love everybody we come in contact with and we let God worry about the judgment we let God worry about salvation we let God worry about fixing the sin in people's lives and we just simply love them that's a powerful scripture so let's close in prayer today I hope you guys love me as much as I love you and I hope you love God even more <laughs> so let's bow our heads and close our eyes dear Lord Jesus we come before you today as a sinner God humbled by this life of sin that we've been thrust into God and we reach out to you for hope God that we can find your ways and live by them so that sin cannot have an effect in our life God that the curses of sin will be away from us as we walk in the path God that you laid down before us and let us grow in your abundant great love God let your love be a fire inside of us that spreads to everyone we come in contact with God for you are love and we want to be full of you God and we want everyone around us to see you in our actions in our deeds guys we love you so much and we appreciate the love that you have for us God and I ask you to touch everyone who's listening to this Bible study today, God, that their love will increase inside of them. And that this will light a fire in people to go out and love the world around them. That's how we make the difference, is through love. I worship you and praise you, and in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks everybody for joining me today. And I hope this has opened your eyes to live a life of love. I love all of you, and I love Jesus, and I can't wait to spend some more time with you in the Word of God. And until then, God bless you.